0: So I got a call from uh, once I got a call from a young lady uh, from Lucknow, and she was ca- crying and bawling her eyes out. She wanted uh, oxygen for her dad, and she couldn't get it, and he was really old, and he was it was very serious. I still get chills every time I like think about that incident.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Wi-Fi Matters. Today's episode will be a bit different than prior episodes. These past few weeks, millions and millions of Indian Americans have been living two realities. Here in the United States, thankfully, COVID-19 infections have continued to decline, but across the world in India, like many of you probably know, they're experiencing a devastating, unfathomable COVID-19 crisis. The Indian diaspora has been oscillating between different emotions of frustration, anxiety, nervousness, anger, and even guilt. As I go to my in-person school, as I get my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, as I compete in tournaments now, and even just go outside for a nice walk, My family back home is locked up in their house, unable to go outside and unable to see the rest of the world yet again. Today I wanted to share with you the circumstances and challenges that Indians are facing today as well as the ways that we, the rest of the world, can help. We're going to hear from two young adults who are helping out in ways that they can and they're all the way from Maharashtra and Pune. Their names are Grishma and Jay. Also, we're going to hear from Dr. Asima Banu, and she's a medical microbiologist, and she's leading the effort to fight the crisis at the Victoria Hospital in Bangalore. But first, I want to just share with you some heavy, hard statistics. So according to India's governmental branch, the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, there are at least 24 million cases confirmed in India with around 400,000 new cases a day with experts believing that the death count is much greater than the reported count of 266,000 deaths.
2: It's triggering when someone just calls us and says, uh, we are not getting the beds. Or sometimes we even get get texts like, the person you were helping is not breathing anymore. It's not alive anymore.
1: In the state of Karnataka, Dr. Asima Banu is actually hopeful that India will find light at the end of the tunnel. First, here's a little bit on her medical background. Thank you for all of your work, first of all. But could you tell us a little bit more about your medical background and also your leadership role right now? at the Victoria Hospital in Bangalore.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for your uh, lovely and kind introduction. I studied my medical uh, school in uh, the Medical College and Research Institute. That was way back in the 90s. And then after that, I did my post-graduation in medical microbiology. I did my master's as well as my diploma in bacteriology and virology. Mm -hmm. So basically, that brings me into the limelight with this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And since 20 years now, uh, I am working in the same institution as I studied in and now uh, I'm a professor there of microbiology. And for the past five years, I have been uh, the nodal officer of the emergency block, mm-hmm. uh, which is a 200-bed emergency hospital in uh, Victoria Hospital complex. So that's where I have been working right now. And uh, when the pandemic started in uh, March last year, we got our first case there. Mm-hmm. And since then till now, it's a continuous flow of patients in and out. And we have continued to be the COVID hospital, the main COVID hospital of uh, bad we, we have been motivating people on and off, families, healthcare workers to come forward and take the gap. I have a, a radio show wherein I, I, yeah. I have, the, the people question me on the importance of many things, COVID-related radio show on SM. Mm-hmm. So I keep uh, telling them, trying to educate people to get vaccinated.
1: In many articles, Dr. Banu has been described as a, quote, secret Santa, maintaining a positive outlook. Perhaps this is why her hospital has been doing relatively well.
3: So We are lucky because we have not got uh, any problems with oxygen as of now, that's right. Our hospital has ample oxygen. Though we are catering to 750 beds for COVID, we have oxygen. But, uh, yeah, some of the other hospitals who didn't expect this tsunami, Mm. the private ones, the smaller ones, Mm. uh, who have limited patients and limited oxygen requirements, these are the ones who are really, really uh, suffering.
1: But for most regions in India, navigating the second wave has been very hard. Scrolling through pictures of India, it looks like a war just happened or a war is going on. Crematories are overflowing with bodies, some hospitals are overwhelmed, flames are ablaze in photographs, some cities are even in a lockdown, they're so quiet. It's hard to realize that you're looking at a picture of India. It's just all very, very unsettling, so... I wanted to hear from people who are living through this experience. So we're going to hear from law student Grishma and engineering student Jay on how this upsurge in cases has affected them.
2: I don't think it has affected much on my studies, but Mm -hmm. yeah, mentally it has been exhausting to everyone, no matter of which age group you belong to you just wake up do the same yeah. course again and
0: again on the contrary like i would like to say my it has affected my uh studies a lot actually because like online classes are not as fun as offline classes it just it's it just doesn't have the same feel mm-hmm. uh and what usually happens with me or like uh my peers is that sometimes we just log in and keep a phone side and do something else rather than actually attend. <laughs> lecture so in that terms i feel like uh, my studies have affected adversely uh and mentally and physically mentally it's bad it's mm. it's bad my anxiety is bad and uh, basically humans i think are social beings and we cannot be isolated and it uh, messes us up to a certain level and I personally am an extrovert and putting me completely out of my comfort zone and completely isolating myself was not easy for me even though like I have been doing that for a year but I'm still struggling to get used to it. So I feel like mentally it's affected me a lot.
1: The first wave of the virus sparked a lot of uncertainty or fear of the unknown in everyone all over the world but the difference now is that there is no unknown as we know most of the entirety of the virus. There is the medical infrastructure that helped India last year, but can it support this particular upsurge? Here's Dr. Banu weighing in on the medical infrastructure of India, as well as the mental aspects of the pandemic. Do you think that the medical infrastructure that India has, let's say compared to like America, do you think that the medical infrastructure will be able to support the huge population of India because it is the second most populous country. And the fact that yeah. it's a democratic country, it's not like China, where the government really controls everything. In India, it's the largest democracy in the world. So people have the freedom to do what they want, obviously. So- I, would
3: not, uh, I, would, I would not compare India with any of the other countries at this moment, because our challenges are different. Right. We have so many states, we have so many variants. Mm-hmm. So what I would want to tell you is, um, this uh, pandemic also, this wave also, 80 to 85% um, of the people are either minor symptoms or asymptomatic. Okay. Okay? And they can be managed at home. Okay. Okay. And then the rest, uh, uh, around 5% uh, are only the serious ones which need hospitalization. Okay. So India is well equipped to manage that 5%. But, but what not. is happening here, Kriti, is the panic that is happening, <laughs> everybody of those 80% and that moderate symptom people also are getting panicky and opting for hospitalization.
1: And oh, that resulted... I see, I see.
3: And that, And people are just gasping for breath, more of anxiety than the disease per se. Hmm. So if they could just stay calm and 80% of them could manage themselves at home, then those five persons who really need the oxygen and the beds and the drugs would be easily manageable. But what is happening is the anxiety. the
1: anxiety,
3: anxiety and the stress is causing them to come and get admitted.
1: Yeah, I totally see how I yeah. people can be like hypochondriacs. They can like think that oh no. Mm. They can, the sp- can the offer
3: psychosis, it's 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 called COVID psychosis. I'm not Uh an expert on that. But then it is causing lots of mental health problems in the future. Rather than now, it will be a huge problem for us in the later part of this.
1: Interesting. Let's shift gears here and take a look at some of the reasons why this upsurge is so much more worse than last year's.
3: The main difference has been in the numbers. As you can see, there's been a tsunami of cases. That's what we call it now. In the first wave, uh, we had a a lockdown, a total lockdown. So people won't come out. But during the uh, January and February time of 2021, we were having hardly few cases all over India. People thought we are done with COVID. So the COVID appropriate behavior was not seen at all. People were not wearing their masks. Hardly 20 to 30% would have been wearing their masks and uh, people started socializing. You had multiple gatherings, colleges and schools reopened, hostels, people brought in cases from other places. International travelers opened up and um, likewise Indians also started going out. All these small, small events, lot of events added up to this huge upsurge.
1: Grishma and Jay had a lot to say on the way their government reacted and responded to the upsurge. I wanted to talk a little bit about the politics of what's been happening in India right now. Obviously, we have President, Prime Minister, sorry, Prime Minister Modi, his government. I read an article where they said that Modi's government seems to, quote, care more about its image rather than the crisis itself, unquote. This kind of reminds me a little bit about our prior president, Donald Trump, and how he managed COVID, which was appalling. But let, just tell me what you guys, as young people growing up in India, how do you guys think that your government is handling this horrible situation?
0: Uh, as you said, this horrible situation and they're handling it horribly. They couldn't have been more like it. It's, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Starting, first of all, we are short- Bad apart. is an
2: understatement. Bad is an understatement, actually.
0: Yeah, we're, we're trying to put it mildly because we also care about our lives. We don't want to <laughs> go behind us. <laughs> But, but like it's it's really bad. First of all, we're short of vaccines. We do not have vaccines at all. Like we were supposed to get like uh vaccines for 18 plus uh, age group were supposed to start on 1st of May, but we do not have it. I registered, but I am not getting a slot because we're out of vaccines. So uh, instead of like, you know, saving the vaccines for us, since we are the second most populated country in the world. Our government decided to export it, and uh, for the good public image of, whatever, whatever kind of politics that was, but they decided to care about that more than their own people. And secondly, they have been conducting rallies. They have been conducting. They ha- uh, They have been conducting gatherings, which mm-hmm. is which is appalling, which is sad. There was a Kumbh Mela conducted, which is one of the most biggest uh, festivities in India and there were lakhs and lakhs of people that were there during the second wave of the pandemic when the situation was too bad and 6000 plus people were tested positive there and they were and they were they were there from all over India right so once they went back to where they came from imagine they were like super spreaders so imagine how much have spread the virus so it, it was bad it was it could have easily been stopped it was a religious gathering Mm -hmm. And it could have been easily just stopped, but it wasn't. The government was immature enough to
2: conduct. Everything was in their hands. Like uh, election rallies could have been stopped. And uh, if I am not wrong, in one of the election rallies, uh, our Prime Minister even quoted that I see huge crowds of people in every direction. Today, you have shown your power. Something like this. So. Devia, more sounds... He,
0: in fact, even for, for Bengal, he's, uh, he said that if I get elected in Bengal, uh, we'll, we'll vaccinate people for free. So, uh, and he's like, it's like, it's almost like a threat. Like, if you get, if you I get, like, elected, then only you're going to get vaccinated for free. That's, that's sad.
1: Well, I think the future of India is going into great Hands. The clip I played at the beginning of this episode shows the hard work and very much very much emotional work that Grishma and Jay are doing the best they can to help those in need of oxygen, hospitalization and other things. They get thousands of such calls every single day from people and people who are on the verge of dying and it's just crazy, so I applaud them for the work that they're doing. So, you might be wondering, what are the ways that we can actually help out? Grishma and Jai believe that spreading the word and building up awareness is very important so that you can pressurize the government of India to actually take action, since many reporters and journalists aren't even covering the crisis accurately. Here is what Dr. Banu thinks that we should do
3: your families and friends and who would have tested positive and they're monitoring themselves please help them um, to get their confidence uh, to stay stress-free to realize to make them realize that they will get over this be the uh, emotional support mm. and if you're uh, doctors in the families please try to help the people at home quarantine mm. try to real, make them realize their saturations are correct their uh, temperature is fine and then when they need to go panic, all that, they could monitor them. Mm-hmm. If you have every family, uh, doctor monitoring the positives at home, I think that we go a long way in handling this pandemic successfully. Mm-hmm. So, so everybody needs a home support. So if from there also, if anybody, all the doctors there, it's so easy to collect on WhatsApp and all that. Mm-hmm. So if the friends and families reach out to the friends and families in India, then I think that is, would be a great support to us.
1: Thank you so much for what you've been doing at Victoria Hospital and all of your work. So uh, keep that up, obviously. I'm Many of my patients now become very good friends of mine. That's, That's amazing. What
3: gained. That's, That's what, what I gain. That's what you gain. <laughs> lots of friends, lots yeah. of friends.
1: I'm so happy that Grishma Jai and Dr. Banu were able to come on the podcast today. I hope you learned more about what is happening in India and the experiences that people are having there and also ways for you to actually help them. In the episode description, there are different resources to send oxygen and other necessities for India, including Grishma Jai's initiative, War with COVID. As much as India is suffering right now, I know that with ample help, hope, and strength to pull through, this country can come back strong. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you next time.